0: Hello and welcome to One Fit in the Podcast. I'm Tom and with me this week is a new guest in Tyler, who will be helping me to break down this absolute mammoth of a Christmas special. And for many fans, their most favourite episode of them all. Uh, first of all, hello, Tyler. Welcome to the show. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. That's quite all right. Uh, you got in touch not that long ago, really, didn't you? you? Gave me some nice feedback, which is very, very kind of you. Yeah, you've given up your time. It's a Thursday afternoon. Uh, An unusual time for for me to recall personally, but that's fine. I think the dynamic could be different. Just as good a way as an evening time when I'd be recording. Uh, So yeah, so you're you're Tyler. So Tyler, I don't know how many times I call you Tyler. (laughs) Can you remember a time when you first got into One Foot, brought to the show? Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. I can can remember it very clearly. Uh, Originally uh, from New Zealand, but for reasons too complicated to go into, I moved to Belfast in the early 90s and I lived with my uncle and aunt. Um, for a couple of years in Belfast. And my uncle um, was very uh, very much like an uncle in many ways, but also very non-uncle-like in certain respects. And one of them was that he he had this real um, liking for what I might call kind of um, off-the-wall comedy, So he liked things like Nightingales, which was a Channel 4 sitcom. He liked things like Bottom. He liked things like uh, Naked Video, Blackadder, a bit more mainstream, I suppose. So I I came over from from New Zealand. And um, I remember clearly on a Sunday evening in early 1992, um, my uncle put on this new program. Well, this program I've not seen um, before. And it was uh, One Foot in the Grave. And the episode subsequently I found out was called Dreamland. So that was my introduction to the Meldrews. And I was just, I remember being, uh, I don't want to say spellbound because that sounds a bit, you know, (laughs) OTT, but I was, I was, I was, I was really taken by it, really taken by it. It it was very sort of um, off kilter, but still pitching itself as a, as a suburban sitcom. Yeah. And I was just really taken by, the way that everything kind of paid off, everything was, mm. everything that was set up was paid off. Okay. I was obviously taken by Victor's character. Yeah. Um, there was also some, some real sort of drama and, and sadness in it. But the thing that I remember most clearly about my f- my first viewing was the, um, the clock there is at the climax with the chimp, um, uh, when he's sort of fiddling about with, with Victor on the ground, <laughs> And that is the right episode isn't it it is dreamland yeah it's um, talk-
0: where margaret sort of escapes for a while and uh, yeah and there's that, there's missing. that kind of yeah there's that kind of
1: um, ambiguity as to you whether know, she is she drowned is she what
0: yeah it's it's where it's where jean is sort of narrating to her friends what's happening but also us yes. the audience isn't it um it's very yes. it's quite a it is a bizarre episode um, but a great episode yeah, so so I
1: loved that. I absolutely loved it and then sort of watched it from then on. Um yeah. and then ended up buying the videos, yep. which you know cost you a kidney I back mean, in those it's days. Crazy, it was crazy, isn't it? <laughs> How much yeah. did it used to cost, yeah. Because you get you get three episodes on one tape, wouldn't you? For 15 quid or whatever. Um but yeah, so COVID. it's it's Jeez. something like that, yeah. Mm. Back in the back back then it was. So I it's it's now sort of established itself is probably one of my certainly one of my top 10 probably one of my top five sitcoms of all time yeah one thing i did want to say and you might disagree with me here you probably will disagree with me here um the one thing that put me off when i first saw it and kind of subsequently puts me off or doesn't put me off but i kind of like wish i could just well i can fast forward it is is the is the the opening credits it's the theme
0: and the and the the opening titles it's interesting you should um, say that because Richard Drew said such a thing as well in on the um last episode for those who haven't listened to yet download. Yeah. But he speaks yeah. about he doesn't his dislike for the intro, but he was the at the time the first person I ever heard say that you're the second. And that's you happen to be the second person I've spoken to about one foot properly in a row. It's a very it's 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 completely it's like can't get I can't articulate the words to describe it. I really I really like it. It's got that comedy feel, silliness, just the tortoise, tortoise, whatever, sorry, strutting around is obviously some old BBC wildlife footage. And just think, what is this about? Why? Why is that there? And the I think Eric Idol's got that very distinctive voice. But yeah, I can I can and I can see why some may not like it. It's not like a traditional song by any means. It's just a it's almost like a song that Chaz and Dave would write. Yes, it yeah, is. It's like Chaz and Baby. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. what do you like about uh, it then? just You just don't like it. There's nothing more to it than that. I, I just don't like it. I don't like the tune. I'm not, and this
1: shouldn't have a bearing on it whatsoever, but Eric was my least favourite Python.
0: Okay, that might have something to do with um, then.
1: Um, and I never liked, particularly I never liked. Um, and in the long black many, Not particularly. No, okay. um, But it's, I don't know I just think, I'm thinking, and I don't know what to propose As, as, as alternative Images I'm not, it's, not, it's not even just the song, it's the, it's the images as well It's the, the tortoise I'm not suggesting that, you know You had um, Victor and Margaret waving at the camera You know, as the opening credits yeah. roll Or anything like that yeah. but I'm trying to think it, Maybe I'm dancing on the head of a pin here But I just think it, I would have done something differently
0: well That's I mean there there's there are a few episodes including in this episode we're going to talk about where there isn't an intro proper intro um, yep. it's often a close up shot and it's a bit ambiguous ambiguous of what it is until it's panned away sometimes it's something funny sometimes it's not necessarily funny it's just we for for example the very first image is a close up of a gravestone isn't it I think yes. yeah so yep. it's sometimes you you're treated to know intro i guess but it's just for me an iconic theme whether you like it or not because you just can recognize it anywhere fools and horses theme intro and outro Mm -hmm. most people even if they don't watch it would know it's fools and horses faulty towers with the uh violin string orchestra type intro it's just very recognizable but i can i can uh, i appreciate anyone's opinion on anything in life but i appreciate yours that did don't like it, but yeah, like you say, you can skip past it. Absolutely, absolutely. With, um,
1: yeah. One of the things I love most about the series, though, mm. um, uh, are the uh, the bottle episodes the the episodes which are entirely one set, one you know, in yeah. real time in some cases. Timeless. So time. obviously, beast, the beast trial, in the cage. Yeah, um, yeah. I love those. Um, I used to watch the. Um, you're probably too young for this. I used to watch the goodies.
0: Back in a, the, a bit. The I obviously know the goodies. I've seen much of their stuff, but yeah, it's um, filmed well before I was born, probably before the mid eighties.
1: But they they had they had a lot of bottle episodes because mm. um, they 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 blow the budget because they did so many sort of they did so many huge set pieces, huge doogle from Magic Roundabout things like that. But they always always have one bottle episode per series, and I always found those the most engaging because. Yeah there weren't any sort of bells and whistles they were just saying funny stuff to each other basically. Yeah. And that's what I like about, I mean, particularly the, the, the one or two where um, Wilson's just on his own talking to himself or talking to the audience. Yeah. I just find those um, uh, thoroughly absorbing.
0: Yeah. It's those minute by minute episodes are incredible. I I, I admit, I agree. Like, um, Rearranging the dust, one set, mm. just yes. remarkable. Yeah, you don't get that with many of the sitcoms. Minute by minute, tale of a day in the life of that character. I can't really think of many of the classics that do the mm. real time. All right, well, are you ready to get down to uh, the wisdom of the witch?
1: Absolutely. Yep. <laughs>
0: The trenches are finally saying goodbye to Riverbank after five years of misery for mostly Patrick. A relative of Margaret has passed away, leaving Victor the daunting task of a long drive to the countryside estate to clear out the property. Kidnapping, violent threats, arachnophobia, marital problems, scarecrow work, and a cock-up with the appointment of a clearance firm pays the way for one final Meldrew and trench feud. Is it rest in peace for Victor Meldrew, or has the witch got the wrong end of the stick? Did you like that little pun at the end there, with the stick and the witch? That was, that was my, amazing. That was, my, that was my own synopsis. Quite proud of that. <laughs> that, was your own work, yeah. My own work, I did that minutes before you joined the call. Um, I'm I like, I do like to do my own synopsis work, it just sort of tests my knowledge in advance. Make sure I've yes. definitely picked up on, I mean, I pretty much included every almost every aspect of the uh of this episode yep. in that sort of That's fine, Tyler. This is a special episode. This is 1995 Christmas Day, I believe. This is that's one right. of the three specials that aired sort of well between series five and series series six it's almost like purgatory for the show so finished Mm -hmm. series five is done and dusted in january i think by january 95 i think and then right towards the end of the year christmas day here we are with the wisdom of the witch from what i read renwick was trying to figure out when when am i going to end this show i don't know how much he had planned for the future i don't even know if he had would have had series six on his mind at all, like storyline wise and plotline. But there's always that negotiation with the actors, and uh, would you be willing to come back to do one more? So there's quite a, th- a very quite a dark theme for this episode of death, as is the case for most episodes, but in particular this one. um yes. So I wonder if when he was writing this, he was thinking, "Will I kill off Victor in this episode or not?" But it is hu- this episode is held in very high regard for many fans. A lot of people who interact with me on uh, Twitter and. and Facebook would say this is their favorite. Um, for me, it's yeah. I mean, it's not my single favorite episode, but of course, it's right up there. What about what about for you? Did you say this is one of your favorites? Did you mention it earlier? I'm just trying to test my memory yeah, from minutes ago. Yeah,
1: again, it would probably be in my top five. Top five. Um, that's my it, favorite. Yeah. yeah, my absolute favorite is and will always be um, the um, uh, man who blew away Brian Murphy. Man who blew away episode.
0: So oh, yeah, um, yeah.
1: Just think that is so finely
0: crafted, and it's so funny. And I, I know it ends. It ends on tragedy, but that, that's the difference was, from one foot from in the grave to the rest. Like comedy and tragedy just weirdly goes really well, doesn't it? Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's so, so unexpected.
1: <laughs> it's the it's the the conceit of of Brian Murphy. I was, I'm always tempted to say George Roper, Brian Murphy's character turning up. We know that he has sons he yeah. turns up and there's the there's the the two sort of louts with him on the doorstep and yeah. it's that whole conceit that that just makes me howl with laughter so i just that's that's my favorite this one absolutely wisdom of the witch um too many to name um beast in the cage of course which i think is probably one of the the top one for most people um but no wisdom of the witch this is so elegantly written and plotted it's great oh.
0: It's very artistically done with the opening credits with the... Uh, yes. So thankfully for you and for Richard Drew, if you're listening, Richard, there's no intro um, credits played. There's no Eric Idol. It's a close-up shot of something that looks murky and mossy, and it pans away to be a, a gravestone of a cross. There's some sorrowful music playing. Margaret is there at the graveyard. She's writing a... It's not the... The close-up of this gravestone isn't the one Margaret sat at. By the way, she sat at the other end of the graveyard, and we can hear like an in- her internal thoughts, actually penning this letter to her. It's to uh, Iris, Iris her uh, niece. Yeah, writing to niece Iris. Looks like she's displaying all thoughts of recent times, what's been going on in the world, uh, and she just references a you know I- Iris has had a share of misfortunes and acknowledges the sudden death of Auntie Ursula, another auntie mentioned in the show. Just want to say this had this had seventeen million viewers. I think that was the highest viewer count for the out of the three specials. Sorry, I just want to get in there before I forget. <coughs> um,
1: it's also it's also that's um, their thirty seventh wedding anniversary.
0: Yeah, that's <coughs> interesting in the sense that it, they do reference that in series five in rearranging the dust. That they're coming up to thirty seven years, so it's obviously. In their universe, it's in their time zone, it's the exact same sort of period, isn't it? It's not not much time has passed since rearranging the dust.
1: Which means, uh, which means I think, uh, working this out, uh, did they get married in 58 then? Must have been.
0: If it's 58. 95, yeah. Yeah, if, if, if yeah. they're going by, I guess, sort of real time at the time of this was aired, yes. You know, we're talking about the introductions where there's um, no theme tune. I think we also had that with other episodes. I made a note of it somewhere. No, well, okay. yeah, Endgame, Endgame. Endgame, Starbound. Sure um, a, a one Foot in the Elgarve. Threatening Weather, The yep. Trial. Yeah, so there's been quite a few. Mm. So,
1: so th- those are episodes that Eric Idle doesn't get any royalties. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's very true. But I don't know if on the mm. credits he still pops up as theme tune creator mm. as, a, as a default. I made a really pointless reference that the visual of a tombstone, of a gra- gravestone, is the second time we've seen one. The first being Love and Death, where Vince create well handcrafted a tombstone for Victor. Yeah. Very nice of him. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so back to the plot in hand. I think it's quite a dark and eerie opening because we hear the internal thoughts of Margaret. Seems to us that she's mourning the loss of Victor. It's incredible it's an incredible shock. When you're watching this for the first time, I mean, is that the assumption you're making before she sort of goes into detail? (laughs) What
1: I would say is, if this is the second, if you've seen this episode before, but maybe not seen it for a while, mm. yes, that's the immediate assumption you make. Yeah, I, I would say, if it's the first time you're watching it, and and you you hear her um, in a monologue as uh, she's writing to Iris, she she mentions the sudden death of Ursula, Auntie Ursula. Mm. So, uh, if you if it's the first time you're watching it, you might just assume, oh well, she's in the cemetery putting yeah. flowers on Ursula's grave. Yeah, But yeah, there, there is that ambiguity. There is that sort of uncertainty.
0: It's quite a good way of opening up the story because when this happens again with storytelling, very final episode of series six, things aren't simple anymore. We have that sort of very shocking reveal that Victor is dead. Spoiler yes. alert. And it's yeah. sort of played out, not quite in chronological order, is it? It opens up with Margaret ranting to a, a lawyer's firm or something. Then she goes, the, the story is told in chronological order, then back to reality. So
1: That's right. this, yep.
0: this is sort of similar. It's not really. She's sort of telling a story to us, the viewer. And you, you will forget that Margaret is at the graveyard, sort of recounting her thoughts to Iris in, in letter form. Yes. A bit like yes. how you forget Mr. Sweeney was on his back trying to fix the plumbing in an <laughs> yes. earlier episode. You just forget it, that that exists. That you... Very clever. That's it.
1: Because so there's so much else that goes on subsequently that mm. when you when you get back to it
0: towards the end, you go, oh, yeah. That's yeah. Right. But also, like anything can happen in this show. When you're watching this for the first time, you you might go, well, she's she's teasing that something might have happened to Victor because she said there's so much that's gone on and she's recounting the night. Three weeks ago, they'd celebrated their 37th wedding, which, like I said, was referenced in Rearranging the Dust. And then we're brought to... Well, she describes it as a nightmare, doesn't she, basically? Um, yes, she says um,
1: she said it's... Um, she says trouble was already brewing.
0: Yes. And her, her opening line is, obviously, the story starts off where Victor's he's basically attained another job. It's umpteen time. He's, he's got a little job since he's forced to retire helping out on a farm uh, margaret at the time had been shopping with friends i was thinking oh she does have friends then because other than Jean and her colleague oh whose name i can't remember the florists oh meg meg you don't mm. really you don't hear or see of any friends that they have ronnie mildred maybe and yeah. she says by six o'clock that evening like you just said trouble was already brewing And then, of course, the camera angle, sort of bird's eye view, pans away, sort of pans to the left into the next scene, which is obviously the beginning of the story. So Margaret has just come down from upstairs and she seems a bit distracted and concerned. And Victor, the same sort of time, comes back home from what looks like a hard day's graft. He looks like he's dressed as a a detective. He's got this huge, long, white cloak. He's got his um, iconic cap on, his old man's cap. And yep. Margaret is looking very sheepish because she's just seen something that he, she knows Victor is going to lose his crap over. And she's not doing the best job at trying to hide it, is she? No. No. And, um, and
1: that's another thing about this show. Another thing about the show is that, that, that you're not spoon-fed. The audience isn't spoon-fed what's happening. Very often you have to wait for the reveal. So, that's true. you know, a yeah. character, a character may, there may be some clearly some agitation um, or or something going on, but you have to, you have to wait for it. You have to wait for it to pay off.
0: Yeah. Victor's latest um, job. It looks like he's some sort of a handyman he, or how he describes it. He's trying to look for an, is he, does he say he's trying to look for an item belonging to the farmer or he's. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, it's a wedding ring. He's lost The farmer's lost his wedding ring, apparently.
0: But that's not revealed yet, is it? That we need um, to get to I that later. I need
1: to. When he walks in, he comes in and he basically says that he's been walking about a ploughed field looking for a wedding ring. Oh, he does for okay. ages.
0: And then the reveal yeah. later is more along the lines of, "That's not the case." Basically, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. So Vic, Victor heads up to have a um, you know a relaxing hot bath. Margaret just doesn't want him to go upstairs. We just think, what is what? What's she trying to hide? Margaret's dress yeah. as well. Have you seen what she's wearing? It's very. It does look Christmassy, doesn't it? Very red and blue, mm. flowery, almost the whole length of her body, sort of all in one. She does look quite nice, but it looks like a dated outfit, doesn't it? Yes. Um, I don't know why I'm giving fashion advice here, but <laughs> it just she doesn't usually wear this attire. I don't mean because it's a Christmas special, but anyway, Victor has sensed quite easy Margaret's poor attempt at hiding or covering up something that's gone upstairs. She sits on the sofa with both cushions covering her ears because she knows he's about to kick off. And uh, we, I, I believe we don't see what Victor sees. We, we think we hear his reaction, don't we?
1: Yeah. What in the name of bloody hell? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and then, but yeah, you don't you don't find out again for the longest time. You you, the, you know, we the audience don't know what the hell he's seen, but we know that we will eventually find out.
0: But what we do um, know, the backstory is that um, Victor argued with some teenagers outside a pet shop who were playing temping bowling with some garden gnomes and the tortoise. Uh, I thought it was interesting they mentioned garden gnomes uh, because, of course, garden gnomes is yes. very much a feature, wasn't it? In uh, who's listening? I don't know remick does that did that on purpose or not? What you call it, a, a Easter egg? Uh, so obviously, yep. Victor, possibly, yeah, it, being the brave soul he is, but also from a teenager's point of view, a miserable git. Has challenged them to something that he's in the Victor's in the right for doing so, but it will have a consequence which we won't see just yet. That's
1: the thing. Vic, Victor's Victor's a um, very moral, upstanding member of the community. He's a frustrated um, idealist. I think, mm. think he just he wants everything in the world to to uh, be good and for, yeah. for everyone to be happy. It's yeah. just that you know he takes it upon himself to get involved. Sometimes when he shouldn't, or mostly when he shouldn't. Yeah. And it always backfires.
0: I know, it's frustrating, isn't it? I should also say that not only have they mentioned gnomes, garden gnomes, but they've mentioned tortoise being the prominent of course, feature yeah. in the intro, yeah. your, your favourite intro. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Margaret reveals, or she recalls that she forgot to lock the back door as she left the front, which is how whatever's happened, so, someone or something has been allowed in again we won't know we don't know much at this stage when you're watching it for the first time
1: yeah we go into the next scene which is the chinese restaurant and there's victor and margaret sat there and we hear this very brash loud uh, presumably american guy Quite obnoxious um,
0: sounding yank any on his mobile yeah. Or whatever, yeah no 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 i can't possibly agree of course a high level of toxicity would make the pathology conclusive
1: obviously the hepatic culture would be essentially redundant if you're looking at a liver the size of an orthopedic mattress. <laughs> that's not subjectivity; it's empirically suggestive, surely. Well, he, we, yeah, we, we can't see him, but we can hear him. He's going on about. It's just. It's like Renwick's just um, written down a loads of loads of long words on bits of paper, throwing them up in the air, and then just stuck them together. Yeah, because um, he's talking about the toxi- toxicity of pathology heptatic culture, uh, orthopedic mattress, um, blah, blah, blah. And and you can see that it's getting on Victor's tits
0: completely. Oh, my God. Margaret just Um, doesn't seem... She's very good at just letting things go. As ever, she will get wound up if it's Victor who's wound up. But I shouldn't say this. Again, a pointless note I made is the male don't offer like a takeaway, don't they? I mean, in the Broken Reflection, they're in the Chinese... Secret of the Seven Sorcerers, They go to the Italian executioner's song. They've got the they have the fish and chips. I mean, there's only a few instances, but there's usually it's centered around some great comedy when they're eating a, a takeaway of sorts or something a slap slap up dinner from home. You know, um, the man who blew away the Margaret puts on that huge spread where the kids are just wolfing down all their food. Yes, a pointless thing to to note, but I just thought,
1: well. Can I make it more, uh, even possibly more pointless? Please do, rescue me. Observation. <laughs> and you might, you might just want to cut this out because you might just think, what the hell? But this is always stuck in my head. Okay. So I grew up watching sitcoms. We grew, grew up in New Zealand, loads of British sitcoms. I grew up on them. Okay. Um, and they were very much, you know, all the vicars, all the vickers coming around, you know, our daughters going out with the Spaniards, uh, you know, yeah you know the sort of comfy cozy kind of thing of course then you had the young ones you blah 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 but one foot in the grave was the first it it was something it was it struck me that um victor would eat crisps right he would just stroll (laughs) around the house eating crisps (laughs) right um and i and it was the first time i'd seen um a character who wasn't a kid in a sitcom just eating crisps which didn't have any bearing on the plot it was just something for him to a bit of business for him to do. And it's quite <laughs> natural. It's quite a natural thing for a retired person to do. But you kind of think old people at home, they're not gonna be eating crisps, they're gonna be sitting down with a cup of tea or
0: what you know what I mean. It's He like, something. He likes, likes his like smarties, doesn't he? He likes his smarties. He, he likes some, he does. a pizza. Yes. Talking about restaurant scenes, we don't ever see him and Patrick go to that Armenian restaurant where they've sort of all but <laughs> to eat a, a share of sausage but yeah it's fine i podcasts are made for nitpicking and observing the most quote-unquote pointless elements to a show i think
1: i think it comes down to the fact that i never up until the age of 17 18 i I'd never seen a man over the age of 20 eating crisps
0: <laughs> okay it just wasn't done carl pilgrim once said uh, uh, you never see an old man eating a twix um, if you know of Carl yeah. Robinson, he once said <laughs> that, which made Ricky Gervais <laughs> howl of laughter. But anyway, back on point. I think so, yep. despite this bloke at this stage, unseen man, talking inappropriately loudly on his mobile phone, Victor is keeping us cool, relatively speaking. He's mm-hmm. glancing over every so often with a face on him. Victor asks about Margaret's outing with Mrs. Wallboys. you know, did you go out did you did you buy out MS between you, which is a little bit of a stereotype dig? Women who go shopping, especially in M&S. Uh, Margaret said she yep. m- met a witch uh, who works at a sweet shop, which is a bit of a bit of an image—a witch working at a sweet shop. Who happens to be a, a bloke? Um, he sells barley Mr. Dim- Mr. Or Dimkins. Oh yeah, yes, I didn't get the name. Mm. He had a head of a dead cockerel in his briefcase, which she says. I didn't. She just sort of points <laughs> that out. And he was reading some tarot cards, and yep. he said apparently Margaret would live. Um, A long and peaceful life while Victor would be visited by a plague of devils. Margaret is quite blasé about that. And I don't know what she expects. She knows Victor. This is the 37th wedding anniversary. She must know that dropping this kind of thing in is going to wind him up, getting paranoid. He's forever looking at his medical dictionary at the best of times. So to be told you're going to basically be killed off. It's a bit like in Bottom. I think it's in Apocalypse where I think Liz Smith's character, like Mystic Meg, she's reading... She's not really doing tarot cards. She's looking through a um, what's it called? A uh, what am I trying to think of? The globe, uh, glo- a crystal ball, crystal ball, crystal ball. <laughs> think of it. Yeah, looking. For a- Says you're gonna die when the moon rises three times. You're gonna die. Of course, causes Rick Males character Richie in absolute panic, as you would if you were sort of that invested in that kind of thing. So here is Victor already wound up by Mister American on his phone. Could be Canadian, probably American. He's just mm. being told casually that you probably, you know, your your life will end soon. Mm. Um, That's just going to raise the stress levels, isn't it? I don't know if Renwick was foreshadowing on purpose since the show obviously would end soon that Victor will get killed off, sadly. Like, you know, this is 95. It's been out for five series. There's talk, you know, in the background that they're going to have to kill him off eventually. So I don't know if that's just purposely done or not. But I just like how Margaret she says, just eat eat your seaweed, get on with it. You know, don't worry about it. Yeah, (laughs) it's very pragmatic on Margaret's part. Victor's then interrupted once again by the American, and he's now had enough. He's doing what we would all love to do if we had balls, if I had balls. I'd, it's not really something I would do. <laughs> he um, approaches this chap. I wrote the word gobshite. He's, yeah. he's, this gob. He's all the way at the other end of the restaurant. I didn't. You know, when you watch this for the first time, you think he's probably a table or two away. But he's at the other side of the restaurant. Yes, he and he's coming through as clear as Victor <clears throat> and Margaret, which is obviously just to.
1: Yeah, and he—he's clearly well. I think he's—he's he's supposed to be some kind of physician, doctor, and he's yeah. going on about some woman and some woman in Tallahassee who inhaled a balloon, and then it became lodged in a windpipe, and it was like a frog's—the sack of a frog—caused it to hyperventilate, and then obviously Victor's just had enough, and he just comes storming over, and basically remonstr—well, i will say remonstrates—he just basically tears this guy a new asshole. Oh, that's funny. I thought
0: for a minute this. Pepper Pot had been bugged, and wired up to a 100-watt PA system. I came here tonight for a quiet meal with my wife. So will you please do our eardrums a favour, and everyone else's, and keep your bloody voice down! Oh, yeah, he gives, uh, lays into him, doesn't he? Yeah. This this actor's Tony Sybald, and guess what? It's his last ever TV appearance. It's a common feature, unfortunately, in this podcast. Yeah. Where there's quite a few of these <coughs> cameo roles where th- someone's either just stopped acting altogether, or they've passed on at seemingly an, a young age, you know, or you know, prematurely. And he's no, he's, yes. he's he's known for being in some Bond and Superman films, ma- mostly amongst many other probably stage stage shows. But I didn't mm-hmm. expect. I don't know you, but when we when this the revealed to be this you know, Tony Sibyl's character, I imagine it to be a salesman. With pinstripe yeah. soup, not a, like an old school looking doctor with a bow tie. Absolutely. And because yeah. you, you kind of think it's going to be
1: someone younger, fitter, stronger than Victor, who's going to give him the skunk eye as soon yeah. as Victor starts laying into him. And then we get the smash cut to the bathroom with the,
0: yes. and not noodle, for the
1: noodle in the trousers.
0: Not for the first time, Victor's been hit. You know, hearts of Darkness, he got a couple of bloody noses. Mm. Pit in the pendulum, obviously got buried underground. Dawn a man. I think he put the maggots in that bloke's roast dinner. Who came back to sort of push him out of the window? And uh, I think he was going to be yep. looking to live in Mister Sweeney's house. And then dramatic fever. He had the the, the poles copper copper poles wrapped round his head because he yes. challenged that. Um, that he's, builder, he's no, no
1: he's no stranger to A and E,
0: is he? No, no, he's um, and I, I'd like to know if if Victor retaliated in any way, like. 'Cause it is just a clever cut to the toilet, obviously. And he's they've their night out has obviously been cut prematurely. And yeah, there's a great visual of the spaghetti being pulled out of his flies. Again, we're talking about a reveal of something where you've forgotten it's happened. We're only like eight minutes in. And he walks into the bedroom and it's quite a, a wide angled shot, isn't it? I don't think this bit yes. is uh, for some reason <clears throat> it sounds like it's live studio audience because the 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 laughter of the audience is so raw, you know, in a good way. Like it's so, it sounds so genuine, but yeah. it looks like the camera is so far back that it can't possibly be a, a studio behind it. But I'm sure there was. And the big reveal is this huge, and this is not. I didn't expect this. about you. I didn't expect to see the the huge graffiti no. artwork <laughs> on the bedroom wall and covered door. So just get your moaning gear around this. And I actually think it looks very. It does look very artsy and neat, to be fair. But just to envision, someone's been in their house. Obviously, it's those teenagers, and they've done this to Victor. Um, Victor's got this kind of, Victor walks into the bedroom with this very sort of kind of glances
1: at, at the graffiti with a kind yeah. of a resigned expression on his face. It's kind of almost sort of um, defeated expression on his face, like, you know, well, it is what it is.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh Well, he, Margaret thinks she can also see a bit of chopstick up his nostril. So there must have been quite a violent fight. But yeah, that was in in the bedroom. He does shout out, I don't go looking for it, Margaret, which is kind of true. But someone say, well, he doesn't go looking for it, but he still tries to, he wants to do something about something. He wants to put right what is wrong. So in a roundabout way, he does, but it's, he's only trying to do the right thing. I guess he could have approached the the chap in a more calming manner, but he'd lost his shit at that point, didn't he? So that that big reveal from the Vandals, get your laughing gear around this is just fantastic. Can you imagine when the lights go on and, and if there is a studio audience there, when they see that, I don't know what to have expected <laughs> when I don't know what I don't know what anyone would have imagined these teenagers could have done. I just I suppose it makes sense to to be graffiti, but I just didn't didn't see it coming basically. Ye- and who's is it the director Susan Belbin? Susie Belbin is that the director? It is
1: the director. Because you you could imagine a more mainstream or more sort of um, uh, conventional sitcom. Um, the hmm. scene, two scenes before, when Victor goes running up the stairs and we hear his reaction to, to something. Yeah. You, you you would have expected in a conventional sitcom that the director would have said, right, we have to reveal now what Victor's seeing. Yeah. Whereas with this, they've we've have had a whole new scene, whole other scene before mm. we get the the big reveal. Yeah. Um. And like you say, like you say, people probably have forgotten
0: about yeah, the fact that kids have broken you, in. You just do, don't you? It's very clever. Um. Mm-hmm. But Margaret comes into the room. Victor trying to pull off a bit of the wallpaper. She sort of slaps his wrist to stop it. And the, the phone call comes through we basically learn what we we already know from Siri, from the first scene cousin Ursula's died um, and it's a great a bit of storytelling about how she died it can't yeah. just be a straightforward you know died in a sleep you know natural causes she go peacefully struck by lightning at the end of Kelly Addicts. <laughs> last night Netflix. big storm She'd just gone to the fridge to get an egg out for a tea, and that's when it hit her straight through the fan light. <laughs> Neighbor came in and found her flat on her back with the egg frying on her forehead. <laughs> just the story, the imaginary <laughs> storytelling. What was the episode before this where someone had fallen out of a hot air balloon onto a tennis court? I think Mr. Swain oh. was telling a story of his, I can't remember, was it his? one of his relatives, and they got tangled up in the yes, net. Yes, it was his aunt. In a break, it was his yeah. aunt? Might have been, yeah. Just, that's... If you're going to put in a, a very basic bit of dialogue about oh, someone's died, that's sad. But if you say it in such a way that is a bizarre end to their life, it's so <laughs> funny. If it was real life, I think if you were told that in real life, you, you're still going to be saddened, aren't you? But I think you might look back and go, you might raise a smile to a certain point, maybe many, many years ahead, but when it's a comedy, it's just so silly, isn't it? Yeah.
1: But this, this does very, mean very specific.
0: This death of Margaret's it is Margaret's relative, I believe. Um, it means that the cut the, the big country state that Ursa lived in now needs to be that needs to be sorted, it needs to be cleared out, presumably sold off. But they quickly realize and remember that Edwin needs to be mm. sorted. What what or who is Edwin? i don't know what i thought at the time i can't remember but more on that later yeah i i remember uh, well i don't remember
1: at the time when i first saw it but i remember re rewatching it the way that that victor says oh my god edwin it kind of made me think of like um some shut in like a duffer son like a oh, Bradley yeah. character yeah you know like think the son that that the son that can't be can't be can't go into society because
0: he's just you know either that, dangerous have been or quite, deranged or something that would have been quite in line with the sinisterness of the show if there was someone there with a bit sort of not with not with like learning needs but sort of a sociopath or maybe a psychopath who just lived with us you know that was yes. a distant relative and they've had to sort of sort that person out in terms of getting them rehomed but yeah, that, that I've probably purposefully done. Did you ever watch Teleadicts? I did. I did watch Teleadicts. Sorry, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, Noel Edmonds, wasn't it? And mm-hmm. it was I'm just trying to remember the premise of the show. He was just going through clips of shows, but talking about it. But I can't remember the... It wasn't like a well, game show, was, was it? It was just a, almost like it a talk was. show. But...
1: No, it, no, it well, I think he had a similar show that was more like a talk show. But he, Teleaddicts was a game show.
0: Yeah, so I with, do remember.
1: Um, and I think it was families playing against each other a bit like fa- um, what's the Les Dennis Family Fortunes?
0: Family Fortunes. Yeah, it was that kind
1: of family thing. feud. And yeah, and he, basically they just showed clips of of and this was at a time when archive telly clips back in the 80s and 90s archive telly um, clips were not as as accessible or prevalent well, this, as they are now
0: the last yeah you can get anything now but i mm. didn't re- i didn't realize it ran for as long as it did because i'm unfortunate in the mid 90s and it finished by 98 but i didn't realize it started all the way back in 85 so yeah, that yeah. was a surprise yeah. to me do you remember it's only T- it's only tv but i like it with um, yes and ross yeah, yeah. i'd really like that that was quite funny the same sort of times yeah. that i had yeah that, that was kind
1: of at the time. That was at the time when that sort of mid nineties when um, they think it's all over, and yeah. a bunch of those kind of uh, panel shows on a theme sprang up, mm. and and some of them and like Buzzcocks, and some of them sustained, and some of them fell by the wayside.
0: And of course, to- by then, Have I Got News for You was for only about five or six years in, wasn't it? Sort of yes, that's right. Barely in yep. its prime. Yeah. Next day, Patrick and Pippa's house. Patrick sporting a terrible moustache in my view um, which more will be discussed on that later from Pippa's point of view but you talk Mm -hmm. about being spoon fed I think we are spoon fed information in this scene Patrick and Pippa's house is finally sold so they sort of I know you've got the script in front of you but I'm sure they're basically saying what's happened in chronological order in their life at that point Um, I think it's been on the market since probably series 3 um, P- Pippa, yeah. she she picks up a a Victor voodoo doll, doesn't she? Like a small yeah. stress relieving device. I think it's obviously Patrick's, <laughs> obviously Patrick's, but she. Well, sort it's, of... it's, it's
1: it's 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 a voodoo doll. So it's straying into witchcraft territory again, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've always thought. I think m- many would agree. Patrick's paranoia around Victor is so what's the word it's over the top it's proportionate yeah he's he's <clears throat> got an unhealthy obsession in a way of how he perceives victor to be this form of evil and to be fair it's the shoes on the other foot of this episode where where evil has followed patrick rather than victor but yeah there's, there's yes. more to come on that obviously
1: um, right. I, had a, I had a conversation um you might have been even been involved i'm not quite sure but it was um It was we're talking about uh, Angus Dayton's acting chops in general, in terms of his ability to, you know, his his role as Patrick, and there was um, conversations going on where that you know he was he's not a great actor, which I think no one's going to argue that Angus Dayton Mm. is not particularly a great actor, but he but the role I don't think anyone else could play
0: Patrick Trench. No, yeah, some some roles are made for actors, aren't they? Yeah.
1: Yeah, but I, I gave the example of um, the, 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 the line that he gives when he's looking out the window at the beginning of the scene where he says, oh, someone's gone and nailed Claude Monet's painting the water lilies to a large post in our front garden. Um, oh, no, I tell a lie. It's something even more beautiful. It's an estate agent's board with the word sold along the bottom. Okay. Right? Yeah. And the way he delivers that line, and this is the point I made, the way he delivers that line is exactly as he would have delivered a joke on, about um, Virginia Bottomley or David Maller or whoever on Have I Got News For You, exactly the same yep. cadence and delivery. Um, and it works for that character.
0: Yeah, it does. It, it's just it's like any of these characters in this show, we can't imagine someone else playing Victor Meldry because Richard Wilson happens to have that type of voice where he can deliver the moaning and the facial expressions alone are enough yeah. Then there may well have been someone else, like if it was whether it would have been Ronnie Corbett or whoever stepping in. They they may well have done a really good job, but we can't imagine another Del Boy in Fools and Horses. I can't imagine Jim Broadbent playing Del Boy. It might have worked, no. but it basically they've made the right decision with the uh the appointment of these well, actors, aren't they?
1: You know Alf Garnet. Yeah. You may
0: not you? Till uh, do part. Elf... Yeah, I,
1: I liked, yeah, I watched out yeah. Yeah, the Elf Garnet character originally, Johnny Spate, who wrote the series, had yep. Peter Sellers in mind for that. And this was in the early 60s or mid 60s. Yep. Peter Sellers obviously went on to, well, Peter Sellers well known for many, many roles. One of my favourite actors. But I couldn't imagine for all his talents, I couldn't imagine anyone else playing Elf Garnet. Uh, Warren Mitchell just nails it. Um Although it's a little bit, <laughs> a little bit questionable, but problematic these days. But um,
0: I I but... still think it, that sort of comedy should be celebrated because oh yeah oh yeah we, you know most people know it's not a literal mock at everything else bar being English and white and straight. Absolutely. But yep. unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think um a, a much younger viewer might not get that. Not think to be patronising, is... but I do think just don't think they get it. The best thing about that is laughing at everything he says because he's just he's just ridiculous in nature, in tone, and his facial expressions and as an actor, how he portrays Alf in overall is just so funny. Yeah. Even his bold head well, he's got he's got yeah, he's got a similar energy. Not so much what he says, but he's got
1: similar energy to Victor Meldrew. That bound, that boundless energy because Victor's got a lot of energy and a lot of you know, he's not. He does. I know he's. He was younger. He was. He wasn't. He was, what was he? Six. He was playing sixty-five, but he was what in his late fifties or something.
0: Mm, he's like fifty. Like or might mean being as young as fifty-six when he's approached for it. Yeah, but what I mean is, you know, he's not. Yeah, he's got. He's got the energy of a younger man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's. Yeah, I think I've. I've. I've said this before, but Angus Deaton's portrayal of Patrick is similar. To how I view Basil forty, but in a more sort of if Basil forty was on sleeping tablets, because Patrick is obviously not insane like Basil, is he? he? He used to remind me of him, like visually, he looks a little bit like him, especially with his moustache as well. Yes, But yes. On to, to go back on topic just for a moment, he's very excited about his new his new job. He's going to be very excited to be working in an actual office, like he's a real office. I also like love the idea of working in an office again because I'm just working from home all the time. And it's absolutely boring. Yeah, so he, he's quite excited about working in an office. So he's obviously always, I don't know what hes Patrick's done as a career. He's always worked from home. I think he's like a business consultant, but he's got a new job. But on the back of this, Pippa evidently jealous that he also have a secretary. Still can't get used to actually going in every day after all these years to a real office.
1: With your own secretary.
0: An expense account and a pension scheme.
1: And your own secretary.
0: Which, and you've got the secretary yeah. and it's somebody called, it's a secretary, and it's a secretary. A lady called Christine, and um, yes. I just love how Janine Davitsky is playing this out because she's this jealous wife at this stage, ripping and shredding off this plastic wrapping. You know, I think they're obviously in the middle of packing up to, to move out, obviously. Patrick foolishly says she's going to take her to the pub for some, something to eat later i don't think that was very helpful mm. for his cause but no. it's obviously they're, they're, no. going as a, they're going as a team but he's just yeah i, th- I can't can't. i have got the script in front of me but i think he just mentioned or she said you're taking her out for lunch aren't you or something or well, where are you taking her today that's what is asked and it's just to the pub he does he has the sense then- to really rise above it but he should probably put a mind at rest at this at this stage I don't know. He's he's similar
1: to Victor in the sense that I think he's oblivious.
0: Yeah, he's very oblivious to isn't his he? wife. Yeah. Mm. He's very oblivious to uh and she's not got a reason to, to be because what we know of Patrick, he's not that sort, is he? He doesn't play play the field, he doesn't flirt. I mean, if anything, Pippa, which she does have a fling in series six, but she's flirted with uh, in Pit in the Pendulum with um the Gardener. Played yep. by Daniel Peacock. Daniel very, Peacock, very yeah, flirty. Yeah. He seems to let that go. So she's obviously very insecure at this stage. Very insecure. Ronald what Coleman, you think the of, actor's mentioned. Do you know much about Ronald yeah. Coleman? What, what's the context of that? Yeah, he...
1: Uh, I, can't, I can't honestly say... I've seen a Ronald Coleman film, but I know that he was a, one of, a like a debonair, debonair dashing... Um, he was British... Film actor in Hollywood in the 30s and 40s. And I know that he was in um, uh, Taylor Two Cities, which was a yeah. huge hit at the time. Uh, he did that speech. It's a far, far better thing than I do now, blah, blah. And he was also in um, the film of a book called Lost Horizons, which have you heard of Shangri La? No. Have you heard of? No. Okay. It was basically, it's about this, um, I think it's a plane that crashes in this himalayan village where no one gets old people stay young forever oh that um, sounds interesting yeah but no he was he was a huge huge actor but yeah he had that little sort of pencil mustache cash thing going on and uh, i think he probably died in the 50s yeah. or 60s or something it's,
0: it's, is it patrick or pippa uses ronald coleman as, as a reference point to compare she she does. Yeah, she says oh, right. about his secretary,
1: she says, big fan of Ronald Coleman, is she? And he <laughs> right. doesn't really, he doesn't
0: pick up on what she means. No, he, he doesn't. And I didn't, obviously. But um, it's funny, you can still laugh at these one-liners, even if you don't quite get there. Because he doesn't get it. As yeah. he walks out, he he's ready to go to work through this back door. Pippa picks up the Victor voodoo, doll. Victor voodoo doll. Seems to have an idea up her sleeve. And the scene cuts straight into... The middle of a field with Victor once again in his white coat. We just don't know. Why are you wearing this outfit? He was given it by the farmer. <laughs> so as he's wading through the field with a, a shovel, there's a postman in the, in the in the background shouting out to him. Haven't you found it yet? And uh, Victor sort of concludes he hasn't found it yet. It's the postman who's played by someone called Peter Terry. I didn't really recognise him. I just looked that up in the credits. He's been in The Man in the Mask. Um, It's the only thing I could recognise, The Man in the Mask. So he points out Mm -hmm. that you're not going to find anything either because you're the the farmer. He's not not married. And that's, I think, the third person he's had out in the last couple of weeks or so. So Victor's been made for an absolute mug. Although, (laughs) I know it's frustrating, but he's still being paid to do that up to that point he didn't know did he he's still being paid <laughs> yeah if someone yeah. said to me i'll pay you a 10 or an hour to find something and just do as much as you can and then i was told that i would be annoyed but like well i was given money so basically i've been spending time outdoors in the fresh air all right for nothing but i've been paid but easier said than done i suppose isn't it
1: and we don't get the reveal this and this scene as to what he's been asked to do yeah and victor basically says what? And he says, all the others tweaked it after three days. And Victor goes, tweaked it? Tweaked what? For goodness sake. And then the the postman just carries on. You work out. Walks off or whatever. Yeah. You work it it out. And you've got Victor looking totally perplexed in the middle of the field. And then it cuts to Patrick in the pub with his work colleagues.
0: Yeah. In the pub, Patrick is with his colleagues um, recounting a time. I like how he's recounting a time where it's an actual an actual episode we've watched. So he, I think it's from yes. Hole in the Sky, where you discover Victor hiding the larder, which, of course, is not the full story, is it? You know, we know that he was there because he got locked in because he was trying to do a good thing by returning some money to um, Jeffrey Croco, which is Pippa's on-screen brother, Mike yeah. Winston-Stevens. Yeah, um, But he only gets the one side of it. Um, although I don't know if Victor ever explained himself at the time, but it's a bit unfair. But anyway, it's it's a story to tell your new colleagues. Mm-hmm. He's quite—I've never seen him this chirpy. He's quite um, a bit sozzled up, probably. They've all been on the drink. You've had a wet lunch, haven't they? But you, yeah, you
1: movie. you rarely see Patrick either without a scene without his wife, without Pippa or without Victor. Mm. You very rarely see him engaging with other people. Yeah. Um you you probably give me dozens of instances where that's not the case, but yeah,
0: in my mind. From our point of view, geez. he's he's quite a square bloke who sort of doesn't have too mm. much fun. Um but yeah, I think we, we have we it's it's mostly male colleagues, but we see this female colleague who is played by Joanne Engelsman, I think I pronounced that cor- correctly. She hasn't starred in anything since nineteen ninety-eight. So unless she does stage work, she's <laughs> She's got the one foot in the grave. Yes. Bad luck charm in the, for her, for the, for her career. I, I'm not saying she's not doing anything good now, but seemingly not doing any TV work since, more or less since anyway. So she is the secretary. She is Christine. And she calls Patrick over to the, um, to somewhere quieter in the pub. And she is, talks about she's going out with a chap called Melvin, who he's apparently been seeing other women and, you know, that she has needs too. So at this point, we're thinking this is the woman that Pippa is. There's a good reason for, for Pippa to feel insecure because it looks like she's coming on to Patrick. Mm. However, you know, she, we think she's just pouring her heart out. But then she proceeds to say that she's basically mm. be making her fella jealous and being lying to him by <laughs> saying they've been having it off in the stationary cupboard or, or whatever. Yes. And, um, it turns out she isn't into him because she said, oh, as if, you know, I think Patrick says something along the lines of, don't quote me on it. You, again, you've got the script there, haven't you? Um, yeah, so it would never work or something. And what her quick back is quite harsh, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a real, um, it's a real killer. She says,
0: um, I
1: mean, someone your age, that's sick. sick. <laughs> it's
0: a bit, I mean, she's probably about, I mean, there is a bit of a gauge cap. She probably, early 20s isn't she early Mm mid-20s and Patrick I presume is mid-40s so there is an age gap but it's not unheard of for there to be an age gap like that between a man and a woman there you go yeah
1: but but then when we meet Melvin I think Melvin's probably the same age as Dayton
0: yeah that's that's yeah good point I didn't think of that Phil Daniels is at this point probably about 40 isn't he Mm. late 30s Mm, yes it's probably a bit younger than Angus Dayton in real life I don't know but I like just there's a bit of a similarity between this Christine, how she very casually says, um, oh, he just said he's going to kill you or something like that. Or she like laughs it off and she goes, oh, he's never he's never ha- been violent before, before they put him away. But it's a bit like when I say similar, I mean, to how Vic, uh, Margaret said to Victor in the Chinese, oh, they just said, you know, you, you your life will come to a plague of devils. Your life will come to an end. Very good point. Yeah, There's a bit absolutely. of a similarity there. But we have that sort of da music, which basically gives the alarming yes. realisation that a maniac <laughs> is after him. And, and I'm surprised he's not visited Patrick at his place of work yet. I don't know how long... She might have only told him that day that she's been seeing someone, so there's not really had a huge chance to, to get to him. But yeah, I think, no, what, and, what but, a cow! But, <laughs> well, yeah, and then, and then she kind of... She says, oh, well,
1: anyway, thanks for the drink. And then she says, right right. See you around. Right. Um, I'm thinking, well, she's a secretary, presumably.
0: Yeah. You're always
1: there. You go back to the office with them now.
0: Yeah. It's kind of
1: like, see you around. And she's, you know, she's
0: buggered off. somewhere. Isn't is isn't he finishing early because he's in the middle of a house move and he's got to get back to Mm, help with that. Possibly. Um, Possibly. But anyway, if we, if you're ready to move on to uh, just to say, what a bitch, you know, that's nasty what she's done there. Mm. Yeah. it would part it might be okay if she genuinely liked him, but she don't even like she don't even like him, so it's a double whammy. She slagged him off and she's basically set her rottweiler of her boyfriend onto him, which is not,
1: not. And it's almost like an afterthought that yeah. oh I better just warn him. I better just yeah. warn him.
0: Mm. Yeah, because she seemed all worried about it, but then she just brushes it off, mm. like you say. She's yeah. not one. Meldrew Kitchen now. Yeah. Uh, Margaret's um just come off a phone call. It sounds like some news that's not really well received Pippa then walks in with like a huge plant that she's just passing down to um, to them because obviously that's what you do, you move house, you want You got a few bits you don't want to take with you and it's Pippa and Margaret chatting I quite like Pippa and Margaret's um, conversations yeah. Yeah, it's often quite ridiculous I think Margaret's offered to help isn't she or something
1: Yeah and they seem to be the, those two characters seem to be very natural with each other very um, comfortable with each other yeah, it, it's a good counterpoint to the frosty relationship or the awkward relationship between their respective husbands. Yeah, but yeah, so, so they so basically uh, Margaret's going to help with the move because Patrick, as as Pippa says, Patrick's as much use as a glass plastic.
0: glass butter. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: and Margaret tells her about the the witch, the witch yep. that she's spoken to, um, who puts sticks of licorice out in the sign of a, a pentagram. Then basically she's just. Telling her about Ursula, Aunt Ursula, the death of Ursula. and just touches on Edward. Pippa says, "Who's Edward?" And just as Margaret's about to tell her, Victor comes, sort of storming through the door with another like a force of nature. Can you credit
0: it? I mean, can you begin to credit it? <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> yes. If <He's>, um, <laughs> we'll 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 get a bit more of. Of an understanding of what's happened now, but she did just before that. Margaret said she has been told not to go on any long journeys this weekend, as that's when the oh, uh, yeah. evils would mm. happen. Of course, Pippa said, "Isn't Victor going up to?" I don't. Do they mention where they're going? It's somewhere up, up north. Up, up north. That, yeah. That's all. Yeah. Up north. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, Victor's come comes home five days in. He's been used as a scarecrow, which is very a clever and cunning trick by the farmer. And that's why he's had to wear that big ridiculous white coat so he can be seen by crows. But he has been earning money, so you know, give and take. Just so the rooks can f- see him from above. That's why <laughs> they're trying to hold goes- it together, aren't they? Margaret and Pip. They're not for the first time. They're trying to hold it together, with not it's laughing great. out
1: loud. he it- has this massive rant. It seems to go on for minutes. But he has this massive rant, and there, and we, can, you know, he's stood behind them but they're trying to keep the keep composed without laughing and then and then he kind of breaks
0: off midway through the rent rent he goes sorry sorry (laughs) (laughs) he's done that a couple of times in the past isn't he just thinking that i don't know if he's sort of saying are you trying are you laughing what i'm saying or have you got anything to add um but i think he's quite conscious when he's been talking too much maybe he wants them to intervene i don't know there's a comment yeah, about it, Wurzel, the, the degree. Was a Wurzel garbage College. Yeah. <laughs> degree equals Wurzel Gummidge College came in useful and uh, marches upstairs. Yeah. And then the, the ladies um, release the giggles. Uh, it is nice yes. that they get on there, isn't it? They're going I think they're yeah. going to miss each other. Now, where are they going? Where are the trenches moving to? We see an I awful lot know. of them, don't we, still? Like, they, the military's in the trenches do coming face to face quite a few times between now and Series 6 but it still feels like they it's got to be
1: it's, it's got to be a fair distance because um, they talk about a van being stuck in traffic yeah. on something so I'm assuming it's not a few streets away it must be a fair distance away yeah, but, but not too far that Margaret wouldn't go and help you know it's not another city or
0: town or whatever you you might be forgiven to think is up north because that's where the Meldries are going and if you haven't watched this special for a long time but you remember Victor having to travel in the snow to this house (laughs) and Patrick's Mm. with him you might think oh it's probably somewhere out that way but I can't recall them saying where but then again if if it's the north that how are they seeing each other so freely because I know they're separate scenes and where they're not interacting would, from here on out, but I'm sure they spend some time together in series six, don't they? Because they, they do. You know, the paint, I think Victor thinks he brought that big artist, see <laughs> paint. Well, actually, bird shit board, isn't it?
1: Bird shit on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but Patrick's got a new job, so
0: I doubt he'd be moving too far away. If, just have to he's... assume it's like a you know an hour or two max. It's not. It's not. Maybe. I don't suppose it matters too much. It's just the fact that Patrick and Pippa are still prominent characters here on out. And there is some interaction with the Meldrews in person, so I just—it can't be that. It's not like a trip to Manchester or anything.
1: Well, i i,
0: I, I said this to you earlier. I touched on this earlier. Shall I
1: just could, shall I just go yeah, on about go the end it, game yeah. thing? So yeah. basically, so yeah, because I—I I, remembered that in series six, Patrick and Pippa were very much present, and I had in my head—in my head—I had it that they was—they were still—they were back living next door by series six. And I was thinking, well, is that just like a Renwick reset basically? We've forgotten. We're supposed yeah. to sort of conveniently forget that they've moved house. Yeah. In 95. <clears throat> so I um so I I didn't watch the first episode of series six. I watched uh, Endgame, which was the Christmas special just before, uh, I think the year before a yeah. couple of years before, um when Tim Brook Taylor and his wife are the neighbors. yeah, yeah um and it was amazing because um i have watched every episode of one foot the grave dozens well not dozens you know endless times countless yeah. times yeah and i've got the dvds and a stuck uh end end game in and and i didn't remember any of it and it was like a, it was like watching a brand new episode for me i think i probably have seen it back in the day probably at the time but for yeah. whatever reason for whatever reason, I'd not re watched it and it was and it was great. Um, but yeah, there's no Patrick or Pipper in that
0: episode, it's Derek um, and Derek and Betty, isn't it? Um, Tim that's McLaughlin right, and um, Marion McLaughlin, yeah. yeah. And Tim, Tim,
1: basically, due to kind of well, Victor's uh, mistakes, Tim gets accused of kidnapping and ends up being uh, uh arrested and. All sorts hospitalized, yeah. I think, at the end. Yeah. Um, just, just, can I just quickly go off on a, a brief tangent? Sorry. One thing about that ties in with this episode, Wisdom of the Witch, there isn't any particular reason that Patrick has a mustache, is there?
0: There's no, it doesn't,
1: there's no, no it, it,
0: it doesn't. It, it's, there is a, a moment later where that sort of touched upon. And it it sort of concludes because there, there are sort of marital problems between Patrick and Pippa in this episode, and there's a bit that, that relates to his moustache. Um, it's but, a bit like if you, if you watch maybe even badly, I think in the one hmm. of the final one of the final special, Tony has got a moustache. He looks and he's a postman, and he's portraying to be a bit more of a boorish Tony than fun Tony and Deborah doesn't like it and he gets rid of the mustache and then they're suddenly magically happier again (laughs) but i don't know if it's the same kind of thing with patrick and his mustache because that will soon be shifted Mm. Um yeah i don't know why that
1: is is because i watched endgame enjoyable episode everything uh every setup paid off um almost to the point that it was almost like um machine tooled every sort of you know it was everything was finely honed and there, there was no sort of fat, if you know what it well, no pun intended in terms of what I'm about to touch on, but Mr. Swaney has put on a lot of timber um I don't know if you remember he i is... do
0: that's because I think are you are you asking why that is or if that because that's um I think he's just mourning the loss of his mother and he's put on weight and Victor does reference, it's funny what death does to some people or how people deal with death and Victor does reference his weight so obviously the, in, yeah. the, in, the Richard, in the Richard Webber book he's uh, Owen Brenham's, you can see him pictures of him getting dressed up in this big bodysuit
1: Okay, right, because what I was going to I wasn't sure because was, I was pretty certain that was makeup that he wasn't, that he, he hadn't in the two years or whatever, three years put on that amount of weight. I was pretty sure it was makeup, But then I was thinking, oh, why have they gone to the truck? And yes, I know I take on board what you're saying yeah. about it was a lot of effort for very little. Just for Victor to say, well, you know, he's... That's very it, he true.
0: To- it, I, yeah. It's especially down to budgeting reasons. Do You think if they're going to make, go to the effort of making this character mm. look almost completely different, it needs a big payoff. And it's not... Yes. I suppose the payoff is, oh, you learn that his mother's died. Because you, I don't think there's much of a ceremony about that. I think you, there was the, the, his auntie or his great auntie and, his, and the ashes where Victor spills them or he thinks he spilt them. That's made a, a bit of a deal of, but we don't... And his, I think there's another relative of his who died. I think we spoke about earlier about how they tell a story in one foot in the grave of someone dying and it's always a bit of a comedy tragedy type feel, you know, fell fell from above into a middle of a tennis game. Yeah, so anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. The musta- yes. It doesn't seem like a big deal. You could think, oh, it's just the actor's preference. He's growing a moustache. They have to respect that. I know that Renwick had a big problem with Annette Crosby cutting her hair at the end of Series 1. The actress, I yeah. think she went away. She had a haircut. So into Series 2, she's got short hair, and he was so paranoid about how that would look to the audience, because here she is in six episodes of Series 1, below shoulder-length hair, open up Series 2, and she's got a haircut. I've always thought thought that's not a big deal you bet it's almost you don't recognize it it's strange you don't really take no. that on board it's, it's not a big deal she could have had a haircut so what you know at the end of series one she goes abroad they go on holiday where they accidentally pack the the python snake i guess at the airport she's then got short hair so it's not against the realms of possibility to have a haircut when you're on holiday even in 1991 exactly. or 1990. I could accept Simon Nye, the right of men behaving badly, going off on one.
1: When Leslie Ash walks in one day with, oh yeah, huge lips.
0: Yeah, see if they ever brought that back. Well, it's been so long now, hasn't it, since the Leslie Ash um, lip surgery mm. went wrong? Yeah. yeah, fair, fair comment. Should we get back on? Uh, yes, on spa. So, it feels like it yeah. might be later in the day. I don't know. Victor comes in through the front door. She leaves the jar just for once. So out. So it's something I've, we haven't mentioned. He's sorting out his flies on his trousers. So I think mm-hmm. it was in an earlier scene.
1: No, she yanked, she yanked a strand of noodle yeah. flies.
0: He's come back to replace his pair of trousers. And we still see, see the graffiti on the wall. Like, that's still a thing. That's still funny. It's just like he's got used to it now. He's not even referencing it. And the telephone goes, I think, it is it Mark on the phone? I presume it is, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. Um, and we've got, we're going to get this mix-up now, which we've had before with the Meldrews, where people come in and steal something, and he thinks they're someone else. He changes his trousers, and whilst he's on the phone to Margaret, who's ringing him, by the way, to remind him of the removal of men that come in to um, sort out a job for them, which we won't say yes. anymore on that for now. The trousers he's pulled out from the wardrobe have got uh, scissor cuts in uh, the, on, um, at the knee level of the trousers. Yep which is uh, funny because he probably had a, a pop at the teenagers for having their trousers sort of, you know, how young,
1: yeah, he says, I don't know, I sound like um, an old get
0: myself, but you know, the young people's trousers <clears throat> often like got straggs and holes and whatever. And they done it to him. Yeah. I think it's, he said it, would
1: um, uh, loudly criticized the the yeah. tears in their jeans. Um, and obviously they've come and cut up his, his trousers. Um, <laughs> Which, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's funny, but it gets, it gets, um, I think
0: it gets a bigger laugh than it actually deserves. I don't know.
1: It yeah, seems I think the it's the thing it's just to
0: love it, they love it because it looks silly and it's the last thing Victor would be seen wearing. <laughs> like, yeah, they're yeah. old, they're they're quote unquote old man trousers aren't they're they not jeans or anything, they're just these sort of beige slacks. Yeah, yeah. they're just, just Richard Wilson's great actor, isn't it? His, his reaction is yeah. priceless. Oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> what? I'll tell you what's the matter now. Those yops who were in here the other night, they've only been at my trousers. <laughs> you know what this'll be? Because I made that remark about the tears in their jeans. Bastards. The <laughs> oh, there's someone at the door now. Coming!
1: So we've got these, these guys, and this is quite confusing. It is, and even even at the reveal later on. Later on, it still takes a bit of working out in your head. It though, is because
0: if you remember the d- descent into the maelstrom, where the homeless chap walks by the um, TV repair guy who who's come to collect a, their old TV or their old video player, yeah. because I think a relative who's passed, away, I think Margaret's mum's left them a load of stuff, and they're keeping her news. St- the, the the stuff are handed down, they're getting rid of something old. So that in that episode, the homeless guy takes it, and Victor thinks he is the engineer who just happens to be out of shot for a while. This is happening now, where two blokes have turned up, played by Bruce Byron and Peter McNorley. They've not been in too much I can I can recognise bit bit part actors, yeah. yeah, yeah, sort of jobbing actors maybe. Victor's in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Just Victor, where does Victor need to get to that he's in such a hurry? As he mentioned. He's
1: going to get is he going to get some shopping before he goes up north? So he yeah, wants so he's to get got some big, food in. that's
0: right. He's got a big mm. journey ahead of him. Now the key thing is he's left the door on barely on the latch. So yep. someone's um they they've let themselves in. They've they've called out hello in his mind, some removal vent men to do with Patrick and Pippa are uh, at one point gonna be sorting their move out because that's that t- today is the day Patrick and Pippa move in communication mix-up isn't there because he's calling down saying you know you coming up then or what is what victor says are you coming up then he's saying that to margaret on the phone the men think they that he is talking to them i think victor then heads out i think they somehow miss each other because he he, he hasn't gone upstairs he like walks into the kitchen saying you coming up (laughs) then or what they go upstairs he then says goodbye to mark on the phone they say, see you later, or something. Yes. And he sort of says, bye. And then he sort of stops in his tracks and says, someone's in my house. Victor, in his mind, is just sort of clarifying, you're supposed to be next door. These guys are smoking, by the way, aren't they? One of them's smoking in his house. They're so yep. casual, isn't
1: <laughs> it? Yeah, he basically says, when you've quite finished using my house as a multi-story ashtray. <laughs> um, but but his, his voice, the problem is with Victor, his voice projects. He doesn't have a, he doesn't moderate. He never moderates his tone. No, does not. Um so his normal speaking voice is almost like a shout half the time. Yeah. If yeah, if he yeah, was yeah. just talking like like we are, then yeah. this wouldn't have happened. But That's it's just right. the fact yeah. that
0: he's yelling.
1: Down yeah, the phone I think to Margaret.
0: Uh, these two men are not in the wrong in any way. The, the doors no. are jarred. They've called out, they've they've heard him saying something to Margaret, which sounds like come on come on in, basically, but he's not said that. Yeah. They've they've gone upstairs and they can see the graffiti for themselves. I think they make a comment that they like, not along the lines of this lunatic, but. Something, it's going to be like one it. of those
1: days. It's going to be one of those days. That's right.
0: But Victor puts uh, them straight. So you need to be next door. They're moving house, you know, and sends them on their way more or less ends that scene. It does happen a lot. It's we... cross conversations does happen a lot, but I think series six, uh, the district nurse comes to visit Margaret and she's on hands-free to a nanny looking after her daughter and she needs to, or her secretary or someone asking to look for something. And Victor thinks she's asking him to like run up the stairs and exercise. Yes. Great. Yes.
1: That's right. Um, A lot of, um, a a lot of uh, one foot in the grave is, is built upon um, misunderstandings like, like that, basically there's probably a, Probably a, a an entry in TV tropes to describe these kind of exchanges, but yeah.
0: Well, it's um, these two chaps are Constable and Gridley, that's the firm and he directs them next door, mm-hmm. and that ends that really. I don't know what point of time this is, it could be the same day. We're in Patrick and Pippa's kitchen. Patrick is absolutely reeling, as he would be from what his secretary has said. Pippa's very disinterested, you know, she's just emptying the freezer. Patrick is a little bit offended that she's not really caring that his 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 life's being threatened, and Piper just saying you should be, teach you to go careful where you dip your wick, which is a great phrase which I've I've heard before, <laughs> but it's funny. And she sort of seems weirdly accepting of this of this potential thing, like that's happening to Patrick. Like it's 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 pleasing to her that he's getting a bit of.
1: Well, it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's implying that she's saying or suggesting that you bought this on yourself. Yeah. So, which obviously, you know, he hasn't.
0: But He's, He's totally innocent in this. We don't know how, we don't know how much Patrick has been talking about this. Christine, he might have just dropped her in the conversation one too many times, which is why she's become quite jealous. So obviously from our point of view, as an episode, we've only, he's not mentioned her. Only Pepper has said, Oh, well, you've got a new secretary. But he might have spoken quite a lot about the secretary, just the excitement of having a secretary, but she's taken it the wrong way. These two chaps, Constable and Grizzly, I think I pronounced that right, they have arrived to help with the how how we to understand at this stage to pack the it there they're, they're the removal people mm. i wrote pippa asks in a bratish way if patrick is heading to town to collect her shopping or not so she's really got a bit of an attitude on her at this stage this is when the two men come in and she's sort of um directing what she needs the men to to do to pack they cheekily ask if they're going to take they need to take patrick as well uh but yeah if yeah. you've got and, room and yeah patrick does that um that awkward, sort of very middle class
1: smirk to acknowledge that these guys have made a joke, but he's obviously very uncomfortable
0: at their ex- at his but expense. Yeah, he's got to, he wants yeah. to get on that he wants to get on their level to a certain to a certain extent, doesn't he? And they're yeah. sort of they're amongst they can sense the tension of this um, of Pippa. So yeah, it must be very awkward for them as well. It's about four hundred quid it, it, it's cost to have the removal, which is quite a good rate. Remember we're thinking that they're removal men at this point, removing a load of stuff, a whole house full of stuff to to the north. But going back onto like Pippa's jealousy, she the evidence she's she's suggesting that they've slept is some perfume that she smells on him. On his breast. Yeah. Which is which is which uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> has he been has he been knocking it back?
0: I know <laughs> you know I think it's weird. I mean the, the the removal men are obviously amongst this little bit of squabbling and just for once um they think patrick for one, sorry patrick is in a situation where the the people in in the room with him they don't get the full story what's going on you know how he sees victor in trouble or something's gone on and he he's just weirded out by it yeah this is happening to Vic to patrick to a certain extent with the perfume thing and the I don't know, it just, it just seems bizarre, but we see a final shot of a voodoo doll. This time, it's of Patrick. Mm-hmm. Which Pip is obviously either crafted or purchased.
1: Now I've realised, now you've said that. Yeah. Now I've realised the, the need for the moustache because if it was a voodoo doll of just a man in a suit, it wouldn't necessarily, you might not necessarily
0: immediately connect it with, with Patrick because... In that case, if you if you if the, if the props department were just buying a, vo- a voodoo doll or, or a doll, it surely is easy to get a plain looking one with a male with dark hair, unless it's more distinctive with a moustache. Of course, probably. I that. think the must- I think it's the moustache, just
1: little pencil moustache, just to hammer home that it is meant to represent Patrick. That's probably what Renwick was
0: thinking when he wrote that in. Plus, you've already seen one of Victor, so mm-hmm. it makes sense. Yeah. What's ironic is this is the, this is the unhappiest they've ever been about moving. They've been craving this this day, moving house. Finally. Well, has and, she? Has she really? Has she been? Well, probably haven't seen it so much from her. But I think from Pippa's point of view, if Patrick's going to be happy, she'll be happy. It's almost like the reverse of the saying "Happy wife, happy life" sort of thing. Has, happy husband, happy life doesn't rhyme, but that's probably what it is. It's like <laughs> she, she can take it or leave it, she doesn't mind living there. But if, if her husband's going to be constantly stressed, unnecessarily stressed by the neighbors, then fine, we'll move because in their world, they've been there at that point for four or five years. But well, yeah. since series th- three or series two, series three, yeah. So, um, yeah, so yeah, the that's that's moved the story along a, a little bit. You know, they're definitely moving that day. There's the removal, man. Exchange of money, fine. Um, so, yeah. And when we get to the, the underground car park? It's um, underground shopping car park, yeah. Pa- yeah. It's an awkward moment where Patrick and Victor sort of spot one another. Um, you do that sort of glance where you sort of nod your head, as they say, all right? You know, I think we see, we see Patrick first sees Victor with a load of shopping. Victor's being polite. Victor's often very polite to patrick it's patrick who's a bit distant and yeah but yeah. he sort of half heartedly smiles back you know makes some kind of effort for him anyway
1: yeah but again he can't he can't resist being a little bit snide because victor says uh, i uh, expect we'll be bumping into each other again from time to mm. time which is which is the sort of thing you say when neighbors are moving or people that you Barely know a moving or leaving or something. You, you don't mean it. You don't expect to see them again, but you say it just as a way of sort of like putting a full stop on things in a polite way. But yeah. Patrick basically says, Patrick, instead of instead of replying, "Yeah, I'm sure we will, Mister Meldrew." Yeah. He just
0: says, "Who can who
1: can tell, Mister Meldrew?" In a very sort of what I took to be a bit of a snide,
0: a bit passive way. as well, isn't it? And it could be a foreshadowing. I keep using that word today so from Renwick that we will see more of Patrick and Pip in the future series, despite them moving away. That's true. Just as they think they're saying their final goodbyes, Patrick will hear one last moaning of Victor. Oh my God! Is it that bloody typical? He's Victor's left a bottle of whiskey at the checkouts, which will spark off what lays ahead. So before mm-hmm. Victor goes into, you know, retrieve his bottle of whiskey, he's gone. Patrick. Before Patrick can leave, he spots Victor's car boot sort of door disabling from its latch. So he's sort of trying to close it and it keeps unlocking itself sort of spots the muddy wellies in there and it's not the weirdest thing you'd have discovered from Victor so you say what someone's got wellies in the in the boot he still treats it like it's the most strangest thing ever and the door yeah. continues to open and out of nowhere um a sort of a jump scare almost melvin played by the great phil daniels pops up from behind yeah. with a knife sort of wearing a yeah. hoodie looking sinister Patrick sort of grovelling, understanding, you know, you must be Melvin. Melvin doing that thing. It's a bit of a trope in TV where the jealous boyfriend is accusing another man of having an affair. The man, in this case, Patrick, denies it, and then Melvin says, "Oh, you call my my girlfriend a liar, so you can't really win, can uh, you?" Yeah. Um,
1: he just wants Melvin. Just wants to to basically cut him up.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know, he just absolutely. wants to. Yeah, it's so. Yeah. I absolutely love Phil Daniels, by the way. Um, have you ever seen, there's a, there's a a sitcom, Al Murray and Richard Herring produced Time General yeah. Plays? Years now, ago, yeah. Technically, it's a crap comedy. Now, what I mean by that is it's, there's no depth to it. It's just full of catchphrases, but with some really funny characters, it's just set in a pub. I don't think you've seen it. Um, that's what I love Phil Daniels most in. I know he's been in, obviously, EastEnders. Quadrophenia. Yeah, Quadrophenia. Yeah. Um, for me time gentleman please is one of his best roles like he's, he just plays an absolute drunkard slob in that i used to that was on sky one i think back it was in a the very early it was an obscure channel on sky i just can't rem- remember the um maybe just i want to feel compelled richard, to look this up richard herring wrote it i know richard, richard herring, herring and al murray wasn't it? It. and well i know or oh, was it al
1: murray and richard herring kind of
0: Collaborated on it, Collaborate I think like the, that it, the, the credit is written by Richard Herring and Al Murray. I know Al Murray, um, the Gov is his own character, isn't it? So maybe it's Al Murray's brought the main characters into the story, and Richard yeah. Herring's brought the rest. It was aired on, well, it says Sky One, but I'm sure there's there's another couple of obscure Sky channels that I know are now obsolete. Oh, but it a little, yeah. I've absolutely found him You can watch Time Gentleman please. There's there's only two series, but they had like 20 episodes per series. They're only 20 minutes long. Silly, it's just silliness, really. It's almost like in the vein of bottom. Nowhere near nowhere near as great as bottom, but it's that kind of slapstick. It's ridiculous. Um, and they're all on *Bottom* Bottom's fantastic. Um, anyway. Okay, well, I
1: haven't seen it since since the time I I mean I always associate Phil Daniels with Park Life. Um the song Park Life doing the talkie bit. Blur, yeah. You know, Confidence um, is a preference. You would yeah blur, yeah. Um and I noticed <laughs> that he also I did, I just checked I was just having a look at um at what he was what he's done. He, he was um he appeared with Day- with Angus Dayton on an episode of Would I lie to you in
0: 2008. He played grandad in rock and chips Falls and Horses prequel which I thought was an right? amazing yep. um, performance. I don't know if you've seen Rock and Chips but he played grandad amazingly seen that, no. yeah rock and chips there's only a few few of those episodes before john sullivan passed there would have been a lot more i'm sure but he played granddad mm. oh brilliant anyway playing an unlikable character to say the least in this actually i was gonna say there's nothing funny about his betrayal, of melvin apart from the fact that so he st- he stuffs patrick into the boot of unbeknown to him victor's car yeah he can't leave until he's got a ticket punched so he he goes to pay for it he's like dressed in all black hoodie on and suddenly he's just this he's, it has to be very temporarily just very briefly a calm citizen he has to pay for his ticket validate the ticket, yeah, I don't ticket. Whatever, yeah. he, he, that was very funny I don't know what, why it was funny but it just looked silly when he goes back to find the car because he's obviously got central locking from a distance And it's a bit like in Tales of Terror in series 6 where there's a row of vehicles very much the same where Victor mm. climbs into the car and he gets towed off by a a tow truck this is the same where there's a row of bmws or whatever hondas whatever the cars are well,
1: very very um very dark colored boxy saloon cars
0: basically yeah. under uh, underground so you're gonna get and of course he, he victor and patrick part only a couple of cars apart so it, it works really well it's very convenient but it works very really well yeah he drives off in patrick's actual car of mm-hmm. course because he's taking the keys out patrick it's just funny to, to, to know that melvin's just without realising it, driving off to wherever with no one in the car. So he's looking to fall straight away. (laughs) Victor then walks back. He's just missed this commotion. And I'm just wondering, surely the latch would have come off again at this point and he would have be banging, like, surely Patrick's banging on the... If I was inside a boot, I'd be banging on it for someone to get me out. Unless, I think Melvin did threaten him to say, if you make a noise, I'll basically do you in. So maybe that's why Patrick's not making a noise. But it just doesn't quite fit. Because Victor may have heard something, unless Victor plays music loudly the whole way. It's a bit like Fools and Horses into Hull and Back where Denzel's driving the lorry. I don't if you watch Fools, but Yes. Yeah. Denzel's in his playing his loud music, Dale's stuck in the back, banging like the whole journey, and, and he doesn't quite hear it. I think I think Denzel thinks he can hear it, but he thinks he's going mad as well. This is the same. I don't know. I just I did write well, that Victor's Victor's driving a Sierra. He's not got the Honda, he's driving a Sierra now.
1: So maybe um, Patrick's just resigned to the fact that you know he assumes that it's Melvin driving the car, and he just he's just kind of resigned to yeah, getting so. a beating. Maybe I guess
0: so. Does that latch not go off again the whole journey? I don't know. Does it, I don't think it terribly matters. That's true. So yes, yeah, so, so so basically, pippa has been surveying the house, and she's
1: <laughs> she's pissed off that they've taken the toilet seat, they've taken the light bulbs. Um, they've taken the daffodil, daffodil, daffodil bulbs, and also they've taken the house number. Yeah, because the 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 house number was number sixteen, <laughs> and they're moving to a number ninety-one. So they're just going to repurpose the um, the house numbers.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and 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 these residents that moved out, they're they're moving to an address without numbers on it. Then are they? Like you'd think that a house would have already come with the numbers in the door, <laughs> but there you go. But I guess it's um a brass is made of brass, which is probably better quality than whatever they've got up. Where the present, yeah. I suppose. The Pinnocks they're called. Mm. It was a letter sign off the Pinnock, the funny name.
1: The Pinnock is another Python-esque kind of name because these Renwick's always peppering the 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 very incidental characters within one foot in the grave always have always got these Python-esque names.
0: Yeah. Python-esque yeah,
1: maybe yeah, the, the very, very, very ordinary funny sounding names. Um, yeah. what's the guy called? Mr. Dimkins, the, the
0: um the the, the witch a whole host of names it's it's a it's a frequent topic on this podcast again that's another funny name that's another funny name Mm -hmm. but yeah they they, they mentioned that the gas fire in the lounge will light on the the, the 23rd attempt I don't know why that that number was (laughs) selected by Renwick maybe it just sounds funny 23rd attempt it's gonna sound really anal
1: (laughs) that's the right word um there used to be a school of thought that odd numbers were funnier than even numbers in comedy yeah Seventeen is funnier than twelve sort of thing, right, and I don't know why, but now there's this that then th- th- that's been um, there's been that's been disputed now. people say uh even numbers are funnier than odd numbers because look at alan Partridge, I'm Alan Partridge. Lynn is described as being fifty right? <laughs> <laughs> I think people sit around for hours debating things like this, you know
0: what I mean It used to be funny to really exaggerate a number like oh, you've told me a thousand times where have you said you've told me twelve times. 13 times might mm-hmm. be a little bit more realistic but silly i don't know <laughs> it's going gone that way yeah off topic like of this kind of non-thing all day it's referenced that it's yep. snowing uh really bad attempt at fake snow for i I looking out the the trenches yeah. the living room window Thought so that's that's not very good it's like in one area of the lawn and um, it does surprise me that renwick would allow that to happen given how anal he was about i always go back to the dead bird in series one uh, Victor befriended a, a little birdie in his back garden, and at the end of the ep- at the end of the episode, the bird sadly got killed by one of the neighbors' cats. And in Richard Webber's book, he just says how disappointed he, he was with that prop. He's always he can't really watch it back. Not it's not verbatim what he said. So it surprises me that these little things like fake snow. And it's clearly in one area of the garden. He, he surely he, he may would have had a, had a good moan about it, but he doesn't really reference that. I just thought that's quite a standout, obvious. Mm thing that didn't look quite mm. right. There's also,
1: a when you see um, the front of Ursula's house, I think, there's a, there's a brief scene of Ursula's house yeah. later on. It uh, looks like, um, almost looks like a matte painting of a house. It doesn't look real or, or a model. I'm sure it is a model. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't
0: be surprised. With the fake snow. Because it started to snow. To Pippa is worrying and asked if the north, is it in the north where Vix has gone because of the weather report indicated there'd be snow um, and, of course, wasn't Victor Ward not to travel this weekend, especially in the snow, I don't know. That house they moved into looks a bit of a downgrade to me so far. It, it looks... Mm. I don't know they got to decorate it and put their own final touches to it, but it just doesn't seem like a realistic change. But anyway... Anything to get away from the Meldrews basically. Well, I suppose so, yeah. They're probably moving sideways at best in terms of quality of house. Mm. But we're brought into the, the next scene where it's absolutely a blizzard of snow. Victor can barely see out his windscreen. We've got quite a close-up shot of this fake snow. It looks a little bit more realistic. It was quite, it, it's just a comedy. It's not really. It's not a film, is it, for God's sake? We, we shouldn't be this it's critical, but it looks a little bit better. There is a picture in Richard Webber's book of this scene where you can see just a summery greenery in the background and then this sort of shot of all this fake snow. There's an awful lot of it. has got quite a few, few tons at the very least. Is, is that book... I'm guessing that book's out of print now. I think I looked up on Amazon or
1: something, because I haven't I haven't got it. I'd like to...
0: Yeah, you can buy it on Amazon for... It's obviously not a brand-new copy, but it's £13.20 plus delivery.
1: Oh, right. Okay. I'll
0: have to look into that. Then. So with Victor driving in this blizzard, he is forced off the road by another driver, probably not on purpose, of course, similar to The Exterminating Angel, where he's driving... He's chauffeuring that um, that businessman and he gets forced off into the side yes. because he got he's trying to avoid a bee or something. In this case he is now yeah. stranded. He's not that far from Ursula's. He can see it in the distance, but it's snow is up to his kneecaps. And he can hear some banging. So we do actually hear Angus Deaton, Patrick banging the boot. And of course, as soon as he opens it, he is spraying something in Victor's face, like this is quite a reveal for Victor and for Patrick. Patrick should be counting his lucky stars for the first time ever that he's faced with Victor Meldrew and not this psychotic Melvin. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> What the hell are you doing in there? Don't ask. Don't ask? <laughs> I'm 75 miles from home in the middle of nowhere you leave out of the boot and start squirting at me with toilet freshener. I think I'm going to some explanation. Patrick's probably had the worst journey of his life, and it's... he probably thinks it's, it's still bad, but at least he's not going to be murdered. No, it's toilet freshener. It's a toilet freshener, a toilet freshener and I th- that's what he... I think mm. He's been amongst that muddy pair of wellies for the entire journey. Um, but just for yeah. once, again, not for once, probably for the second time, Patrick is in a situation where he's looking like the crazy one. Why in the hell is he in a boot? Victor has every right to feel absolutely perplexed, gobsmacked. Patrick does explain it at least, he's, at least he's able to explain it. Victor's never really able to explain why he's in certain situations, like when he turns up in the larder in, in that pre- previous episode. I'm sure he explained it at the time, but to us, the audience, we don't get that that sort of privilege. I suppose it's left to our imagination. Yeah, well,
1: and again, Victor's being very nice to Patrick. He's being, you know, he lends him one of his caps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he says, you know, can you walk? And he he basically directs him up to Ursula's house. Uh He says, you know, you get up there and I'll I'll get the stuff out and come and meet you. So you know, he's being very courteous, very pleasant.
0: Yeah. Falls in an unseen hole du- of duck pond. Is, is not. It's nothing is going his way at that point. I think that's a good moment to end this part one. I, I think we I've established really sort of part way through. I think we're going to, to split this up into two. So that's sort of leaving it it's not a cliffhanger but it's a good it's it's almost the halfway point of the actual episode itself so i think yep. listeners deserve a break and we'll be back next week for the second part of the wisdom of the witch i'd like to thank tyler for your time and uh please thank get in touch please get in touch uh with your thoughts on the episode uh, you can email one from the podcast at gmail.com and obviously i'm ever present on twitter and facebook and instagram these days so please get in touch Yeah, so we'll be back next week for the second part of The Wisdom of the Witch. Tyler, take good care, and we'll be back next week.